You're listening to Weekly Devotions with Pastor James, a podcast devoted to helping you with your walk with Jesus. We do this by looking at the scriptures through devotions and messages every week. For more information, you can find us at gardeningthewell.com and would love for you to connect with us over there. Uh, You can visit our blog, you can visit our bookstore, and you can connect with us and shoot us some feedback. Send us questions, maybe something you'd like to hear an episode on. And with that said, uh, let's jump into it today. Thank you. Please be seated. A uh, housekeeping thing really quickly. Is the screen too bright for y'all? Nobody said anything, so I'm going to leave it the way it is. Uh, when it gets dark in here, that screen can get uh, awfully bright. And so I just wanted to make sure none of you are being blinded by it. Um, and so if you would, take your Bibles, and you're going to need them this morning. Uh, so if you don't have your own Bible, uh, grab the blue one that's in front of you or near you and open up to Revelation chapter 6. Uh, we're only going to cover four chapters this morning. Uh, so you're going to need it. Uh, so Revelation chapter 6 through 9, as you're turning there, uh, quick word of prayer. Father God, Lord, as I went over and thought about your word this morning, As we look in the tribulation period, Lord, I see so much of Your grace. And I know that it doesn't sound right because of what transpires during that period, but out of Your grace, You have given us warning of what will happen so that we don't need to go through it. All we need to do is to turn to You, Jesus. Put our faith and our trust in You. We don't have to worry about it. Father, I pray that You'd give us wisdom this morning and that You'd speak to our hearts. Father, I pray that You would equip us with Your Word, Lord God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Ah, Really good to see you. Sorry, I don't know if the the lighting is bothering my eyes. I don't know if you have it going this way, Uh, but it's really weird. But it's really good to see you all this morning. Uh, Growing up, going to elementary school, there was a couple of things that I really liked. Uh, So I want you to think back to when you were in elementary school, what were some of the things that you liked that excited you, that got you excited when you were in elementary school? Uh, When I was in sixth grade, uh, my sixth grade teacher would send me out of school to Wawa to get him lunch, right? Right? That was always fun, right? Uh, But also, I'd always get excited when I heard the TV cart being rolled down the hallway, uh, because I'm that old where there was one TV for all the classes, and it was on one cart with like a huge strap on it, like you could use a strap down an airplane, uh, and you could hear it roll down the aisle. That always excited me. Uh, The other thing was field trips. How many like field trips? Like field trips were fun, and I was remembering one of the field trips I went on and we went to a fire station and so it was either elementary school or boy scouts but I'm almost in my mid-40s now I can't remember all the details anymore so you just have to bear with me but we went on a field trip to the firehouse and I still remember the firehouse Uh, it's still there and I don't remember everything that we got to do that day, but one of the things they did at the firehouse is they got the hose hooked up. You all know like oh, what a hose of a firefighter looks like. It's not like the one in your yard, right? Quite different. And so they're like spraying the, the driveway, the parking lot, because they wanted to show us what the fire hose looked like and what it did. And then they allow us to come up and hold it. Like there was the, the adult holding it, but you'd come up because I, don't, I think I was like maybe like eight, nine years old. I don't... I don't even know if I was that old, right? And you could just like pretend like you're holding it. It was great. It was the only thing I remember that day. How many of you can picture a fire hose being shot off with water? Okay, Joe, um, congratulations, you answered today. The rest of you, you need more coffee. Today there's going to be interactions. You're going to stay with me, okay? Uh, The reason I'm bringing up the fire hose uh, analogy is this. How many, have you ever heard of this statement? That when a lot is thrown at you, it's like drinking from a fire hose. Have you ever heard that statement? Congratulations. That's this morning. Uh, This morning is going to be like you drinking from a fire hose, which means I'm going to throw a lot at you. A lot at you. But the problem is this. Because of the subject matter, the end times, the tribulation period, there are so many thoughts and ideas and teachings that when you really get into all of it, it's not just like one fire hose of information being thrown at you. It's like 27 of them, and you're trying to stay afloat, and you're trying to find what is right and true. Because you can literally drown in information. 
And so the thing that we start to talk about this morning, namely the tribulation period, it is one of those topics that can get really heated and so bitter. If I were to ask you in your own family dynamics, if there's one topic that when it is brought up, you know it's going to cause an argument between at least two people, most of you can go, I know that topic, right? Within Christendom, within the church, the end times is one of those topics. It can get very heated and very bitter. And it can even get you to the point where you ask yourself, does that person actually know Jesus because they're so upset and heated? And I'm not going to get down into everything, nor am I going to give you everything and all the different aspects of things. But I want you to understand this. My aim this morning and the next couple of weeks is to give you a working understanding of the tribulation period and what is going to take place and a rough idea of timing when it comes to those events, because even on the timing of things, people disagree. And so we're not going to get into everything, but I want you to have a working understanding of it. And so I have three points for you this morning. Time, sign, distress. Just three words, time, sign, and distress. And so we have to start here, the time, right? Last week, we started this series, and we looked at the rapture of the church. And actually, more people than normal told me that they liked the sermon, and, and which was uh, encouraging, so I thank you for that, which surprised me, because when you start talking about the end times, not everybody really likes it. And I told you last week that the rapture of the church is the next event to take place when you talk about end times things. And if you remember, I told you that there's no sign that needs to be fulfilled for the rapture to happen. It can happen at any given point. So the rapture is next. So what happens after the rapture? Well, it is an event that has many names, but it is most well known by the name the tribulation period. It takes up Revelations chapter 6 through 19. But there's a problem, as there is with everything when it comes to the subject. When you look at the book of Revelation, there are four main ways or schools of thought when it comes to the book and the events that it speaks about. And so I want to give you these four things so that if you're ever on Jeopardy, you can see them. I'm trying to give you a working understanding, all right? So this is like, this is really gets into deep theology. So I'm just laying them at your feet. There's four different ways the whole book is looked at. And there's more than four because the first one actually has a subset, a different, it's a partial group. It's really weird, all right? And so these four things are ways for you to look at the book of Revelation. And the first view is called the preterist view. And most likely, none of you have heard of the preterist view. There's two people in our church other than me that I could probably assume has heard of this view. All right? The preterist view. And what that is is this. That the whole book of Revelation talks about things that have already happened. That when you come to the book of Revelation and you look at it, everything you read, it's already happened. Well, I can't agree with that because Jesus hasn't come back yet, all right? Just a small little thing about that. Jesus hasn't come back yet. Well, the second one is this. It's called the historicist. Is that they take the events and symbols in the book of Revelation and they say that these were historic events that have taken place throughout the age of the church. This is where uh, a lot of you, if you've ever heard of the Catholic Church being part of the things later in the book of Revelation, a lot of that comes from this view of the book of Revelation. Well, then there's a third one. It's called the idealist, oh, or sometimes it'll be called the poetic view of the book of Revelation. And what this is, it tells us that the book of Revelation, all it is is an allegory. It's a timeless allegory that could be true for any church age, or any age rather, and all it is is talking about is the general battle between good and evil, and it's all just an allegory. And then the last one there is the futurist. Well, what do you think the futurist means? Well, there's the word future in it, so it's the future. Down the road, that you look at the book of Revelation and go, it's all prophetic. It's all things that are going to happen down the road, and that's the view that I hold to. Right? And a lot of people that I know hold to. But there's those four views, and we're going to go by the last one, the futurist view. 
And as I said, there's a lot of moving parts and thoughts with all of this, but our aim is to have a working understanding so that we're not led astray. And that's the key. When you have a working understanding of things, it helps you to stand firm in Christ. Paul tells us that in Colossians, to stand firm in Christ. Well, to stand firm in Christ, it means you have to have at least a working understanding of all these things so that you're not led astray and so that you don't lead somebody else astray by telling them something that you saw in some movie that doesn't line up to the Bible at all. That's why it's important. Because when we do that, we can have a firm foundation in Christ and glorify Christ throughout our lives. So that brings us to what happens after the rapture. And that is the tribulation period. Also known as the Great Tribulation. It is also known as the Day of the Lord. When you read the Scriptures and you come across the phrase, the Day of the Lord, talking about the end times. It has a couple other names, but we're not going to get into that. So, here's my question. What is the tribulation period? Could you tell me what the tribulation period is? Because a lot of times we avoid it because we don't want to talk about it. Well, I'm glad you asked. It's going to take us two sermons to get through it all. Okay? But you're going to have to wait for the second one. Because we're going to talk about a couple other things before we talk about the second half of the tribulation period. Here's the deal. The tribulation period is this. It is a period of seven years. Okay? Seven years. And it's really bad. There you go. That's tribulation period. Right? We could sing and we can go home. Mm, Not quite so. Because here's what happens. People do not think the tribulation period is going to be as bad as it actually is going to be. They think, eh, couple things. It'll be okay. I'll make it through. Because we get our ideas of the tribulation period from books and movies and folklore that really don't come from the Scriptures at all. And so we have to have an understanding of this. It is going to be the worst time this planet has ever, ever seen. It's going to be worse than when the Red Sox won the World Series. Right? It's going to be worse than when the Black Plague hit this earth. It's going to be worse than that. It's going to be worse than the world wars that have happened in this mankind. You thought COVID was bad? And not to make light of COVID at all because it's still in our recent history. COVID is nothing compared to what's going to happen in the tribulation period. And I say that all with all respect. And you lived through COVID. You know what took place during COVID. So here's my question. I told you it was seven years long. How do we know that it's seven years? Well, I want you to understand this stuff because it's in the Bible. So how do we know it's seven years? Daniel chapter 9, verses 25 and 26. Right? You have to stay with me for the next couple minutes. Daniel says this. He goes, no one understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. Okay. Did you get that? Some of you are like, nope. Didn't get it. What does that mean? Well, that's why we're here. Stay with me on there. We have some math. Okay. Do you like math? No? You can handle it. I'm Polish and I, I can handle this, all right? Daniel tells us, let's go through, through this, all right? Daniel tells us what? There's going to be an issuing of a decree. You got that? All right. What's the decree going to be? To restore and rebuild Jerusalem. You understand that? Someone's going to make a decree to rebuild and restore Jerusalem, all right? Until the anointed one, who do you think the anointed one is? I'll give you a hint. His name starts with a J. What? See, there you go. Jesus. Jesus is the anointed one, the ruler. Comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It, that's Jerusalem, will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. Then after the sixty-two sevens, the anointed one will be cut off. So, we know the anointed one is Jesus, so what do you think the phrase cut off means? I'll give you a hint. We usually have one standing up over here during Easter time. Cross. Cut off is a way of saying put to death. Okay? 
So what do we have here? Daniel tells us that there's going to be a decree issued giving permission for the city of Jerusalem to be rebuilt. Okay? You got that. Right? I'm going to give you more depth to that in a moment. And then he says there's going to be seven sevens and then there's going to be 62 sevens until the anointed one, Jesus, comes and it is cut off, put to death. All right? So, what does this all mean? What it means is this. In the book of Nehemiah, we're given the decree that is issued. King Axerxes who is ruler over Israel at this time because they were under the oppression of another nation. He gave a decree on March 14th, 445 B.C. that the city of Jerusalem could be rebuilt. Okay? That lines up with that. An issue, a decree is issued for the city to be rebuilt. That was March 14th, 445 B.C. Now, what confuses is with that word sevens. See, there's, you see the phrase seven sevens? What is seven sevens? <laughs> you gotta love the Bible, right? How many of you have dogs? Okay, most of you have dogs, right? Dogs are the good animals, right? Cats, not so much, right? When a dog is one year old, how old is the dog actually? Seven. Same concept. The word sevens is a group of seven years. So one seven is actually seven years. Okay? Think of like the years of a dog. So seven sevens would be seven times seven. Right? So seven times seven is 49. You with me? Like, don't, I, you're not going to get all of this. All right? It's just process. I'm just trying to show you something. So seven sevens is 49 years. And so he says there's going to be one seven. There's going to be seven sevens. So he's talking about 49 years. And that's the, the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And then he talks about 62 sevens. So now you need 62 sets of seven years. So 62 times seven is? Joe, what are you doing over there? Wow. All right. So Joe says it's 434 years. Joe is correct. All right. So 62 times 7 is 434 years. So 434 years plus 49 years is what, Joe? Wow. It's four. So if you have questions this morning, see Joe. So 483 years. All right. What this says is this. From the date the decree is issued, there's going to be 483 years until the anointed one comes and is cut off. You with me on that? If you go from March 14, 445 B.C., and you count the number of days in 483 years, you come to April 6, 32 A.D. Which, Jesus coming into the city. By many dates of many scholars. I find that pretty cool, really interesting. Some of you are still lost on the sevens. Not Joe, but everybody else. But what I want you to see in all of that is this. That one seven is a group, is a set of seven years. It's a period of seven years, all right? If we go back to verse 24 in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel tells us that there's going to be 70 sevens. Some of your Bibles say 70 weeks of sevens. Okay? So 70 groups of seven years. So what I, we go back to that, to what I just told you. There's seven sevens and 62 sevens. Joe, what's 62 plus seven? 69. If you got that one wrong, they're going to have a problem. Daniel says there's going to be 70 weeks. But 62 and 7 is only 69. So you're still missing a week. And the week is a set of seven years. And that period of seven years has not come yet because that seven-year period is a tribulation period. 
And that's how we know how long it's going to be. Because it's that last remaining period of seven years that has not happened yet that Daniel prophesied about. So we know how long it's going to be. And we also know how bad it's going to be because Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 24, verse 21. Jesus says, For then there will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be unequaled again. That word distress can also be translated tribulation. Jesus goes, there's nothing that has happened before or future that will even equal, come close to the events that are going to take place in this seven-year period of time. Jesus also goes on to say that the days are cut short for the sake of the elect, those who have put their faith and their trust in Christ during that period. Jesus, So the tribulation period is seven years of tribulation and distress and hardship and everything that you're going to see in a few moments that has never and will never be equaled by anything that takes place on this planet. You got that? That's the time. The time of it is seven years. And it's complete, utter chaos. So if it's seven years, when does it happen? Well, that brings us to the sign. Okay. How do you know when election season is upon us? Commercials and signs, right? right? How do you know rain is upon us? Thunder. For those of you joining us online, we have a lot of thunder going on, so if you lose us, it's not our fault. But I'm going to keep preaching even if we lose power, so just so you know that. All right? How do you know when spring is upon us? Flowers. Right? Flowers start blooming. How do you know when winter is coming? Huh? Snow? No. Pumpkin spice everything. It's on the shelves. That's how you know winter is coming. All right? When there is an event of any kind, how do you know the event? There's something that marks the end of the event and something that marks the beginning of the event. You with me on that? You understand that. Even on this dark, dreary morning where you all wish you were still in bed, you know that there, when there comes an event, there's a start time and there's an end time. There's something that marks the ends of it. Well, when it comes to the tribulation period, it's the same thing. There's an event that marks the beginning of it and there's an event that marks the end of it. The event that marks the end of it is the return of Jesus and what we call the Battle of Armageddon, which I will talk about in a future sermon in a couple weeks. So we know what ends this seven-year period of time, but what starts it? Well, I'm glad you asked. we got to go back to Daniel chapter 9 right, to get a full picture of this. right? To understand everything with the end times, you need to be in Daniel and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Zechariah and all these different books, all right? So I'm saving you. But we have to go back to Daniel chapter 9. We looked at verse 25 and 26. Don't worry, no more math, all right? Well, there is math, but a little bit, all right? What we read in Daniel chapter 27 is this. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. Okay, one seven is what? Seven years, right? See, that's why it's important that you know that. In the middle of seven, I'm not even going to ask everybody else. Joe, what is the midpoint of seven? Three and a half, right? You all got that, right? So what do we read there? In the middle of the seven, so three and a half years in, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Okay, pastor, so what does that all mean? All I got was the seven. All right, well, we read, He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. Okay, so what do we have here? What we have here is a man making a covenant with many. Okay, that's what it says there. That is the sign that starts the tribulation period. This man that is talked about in this verse, the he of chapter, uh, uh, verse 27, is a man that you know of by the name of the Antichrist. That is who he is referred to in this verse. He is the Antichrist. 
And I'm going to burst your bubble right now. I'm not going to talk about the Antichrist this morning. I'm going to give you a whole sermon on the Antichrist in this series, right? Because we need to clear up some stuff that you're all wrong on, okay? Stop saying every president that you don't like is the Antichrist because he's not, okay? He's not, right? But we'll come back to him. So the Antichrist makes a treaty. That word covenant there, you and I, to use a different wording, could use the word treaty, a peace treaty. He makes a peace treaty with many. And the many, we learn from other scriptures and such, is the nation of Israel. You see what happens is the Antichrist comes to power because at this point in time, he is a world figure. He has a leadership role that is quite large. And he makes a peace treaty with the nation of Israel. That is the start of the tribulation period. It is that event that marks the beginning of the seven-year period. A lot of people think that the rapture of the church is the beginning of the tribulation period. It's not. The rapture of the church can happen and the tribulation period may not start for a couple days, a couple weeks, a couple months. It is the signing of this peace treaty that signifies the beginning of that seven-year period of time that the Bible calls tribulation period. But there's one more thing I want you to see in this verse before I tell you what's going to happen. Oh, we didn't get to Revelation 6, 6 through 9 yet, did we? Those four chapters? Still on the docket. Stay with me. Okay? Notice it says in the middle of seven. Joe already told us that's three and a half years. The tribulation period is split into two equal halves. Three and a half and three and a half. Are you with me on that? Okay. It is at the midpoint where the heat is cranked up and things get a lot more crazier. It is at the midpoint where the Antichrist starts showing his true colors, as you will see in a couple weeks. But it is also what makes this difficult to teach on. What we are about to look at, I will tell you, one, it is not very easy to hear. If you actually listen with your hearts and not just intellectually, it's not very easy to hear. Second, people always want to know when these things are going to happen. Well, they're going to happen within the seven years of the tribulation period. But there's many ideas and thoughts on that. Because for some people, they believe and teach that everything, Revelation chapter 6 through 19, all of it happens in that last three and a half years. Others, like myself, think that what we look at this morning happens in the first three and a half years. And what we'll see in the second part of the tribulation period, all those events happen in the second three and a half years. And so it gets a little bit hard to, take, to, to teach on. I'm going to show you what takes place in the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. You got that? Because I want to stress that three and a half years. Everything I'm about to tell you and show you is going to happen in three and a half years. Could we break it down more? Absolutely. Could we get into more detail? Absolutely. Are we? No. Because you're still thinking about the sevens. And some of you are worried about the thunder. What do we do when the power goes off? Nothing. I keep preaching. So, are you ready? Revelation chapter 6. You need to follow with me. Alright? Because here we go. Distress. Distress. What's next? The rapture of the church? And then the tribulation period. Tribulation period, as we've seen, seven years with a midpoint that splits it into halves, well, as you read Revelation chapter 6 through 19, you're going to come across three sets of judgments. You have the sealed judgments. Not the singer, not the animal. Okay? Some of you, I thought you would at least laugh when I say it's not the singer, right? Some of you are like, oh no. Right? How many of you have ever seen a seal that seals like a letter or something like that? That's the seal that's being talked about. There are seven seal judgments. Okay? But the seventh seal judgment is not necessarily a judgment. It opens up 
brings forth the next set of judgments, and those are called the trumpet judgments. Okay? There are seven of those. But once again, with the seventh trumpet judgment, it's not necessarily a judgment, but it brings forth, it starts the last set of seven judgments that are called bold judgments. Or if you have an older Bible, it might call them vile judgments. And so you have three sets of seven judgments that take place throughout the seven years of the tribulation period. So 21 judgments. You with me? Some of you are going to leave here going, Pastor threw too many numbers at me this morning, right? Now you know how I feel, right? And you ask me these questions all the time, right? But it's good. I like it. So this morning we're going to see the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments. And something else. Revelation chapter 6. Hopefully you're there because I was not putting this all on the screen, right? I'd still be typing, right? In Revelation chapter 6, verse 2, we start with the seal judgments. And John tells us what he sees. And he sees the first four judgments. And the first four judgments are something many of you have heard in many different ways. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, the four horsemen? I grew up, and the four horsemen to me were wrestlers. All right? Because they were called the four horsemen. And I was like nine or ten, right? This is how, that's what I thought the four horsemen. It comes from the Bible. Because the first four judgments, the first four seal judgments, are what you and I know of as the four judgments. So Revelation chapter 6, verse 2, John says, I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. And so the first judgment is a white horse with a rider. And so the question goes, well, who is that? Who's this rider? And we go, it's a white horse. It has to be Jesus, right? Because white is always associated with the good guys. Black and white TV. Who wore wore the, the white clothing? The good guys. Who wore the dark clothing? The bad guys. So this has to be Jesus. Wrong. It's not Jesus. It's actually the Antichrist. Remember, Satan is a deceiver. He copies everything that God does. Everything to deceive. This is the Antichrist. And he is bent on conquest. And the crown that he has is the victor's crown. And so he's going to succeed. But those of you that have your Bibles and you're reading along with me, you notice I said he has a bow. Right? Bow and arrow, right? So what do you need with a bow? What do you shoot? Arrow. He doesn't have any arrows. He only has a bow. Why doesn't he have any arrows? Well, you'll have to tune back in a couple weeks. The Antichrist is here. He started. The second seal, verse 3, when the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. Second judgment is war. It's war. War is going to take place. And you can make the argument it's a huge world war or a lot of isolated wars throughout the world. But war is going to come. It's the second judgment that God unleashes onto mankind. The third seal is this. John goes, I looked and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. What comes when war happens? Famine. The black horse here is famine. That is going to be the judgment. Famine is going to hit the world. Not just a little area of land, but all over the place. He goes on to say, what sounded like a voice saying, a quart of wheat for a day's wages and three quarts of barley for a day's wages. Right? You think things are bad during COVID and inflation now? What it says there in those verses is saying this. For you to eat on Monday, you have to work on Monday. And what I mean by that is this. What you make in one day is only going to be enough money to feed you yourself for one day. So think about it. If you have a family, so my family is six people, me working seven days a week is only provides enough money for me to eat seven days. That's how bad this famine is going to be. Famine is going to be really, really bad. You thought 
it was bad when COVID hit. Prices went up on everything. Nope. Going to be much worse. Four seal. We see the pale horse whose rider was named Death and Hades. Hades is not hell for the Jewish person. It's just the place of the dead. Death. What happens when war breaks out and famine breaks out? People die. That they were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beast of the earth. This judgment of death is going to come, and people are going to die because of war, they're going to die because of famine, they're going to die because of plague, and they're going to die by wild beast. There's a couple, two thoughts on the wild beast ones. All the stray cats are going to get messed up and start attacking people and eat you, all right? Or beasts are just going to give you a virus. Have you ever had that happen before? A virus or a plague comes from an animal. But I want you to get what I looked over already. They were given a power over a fourth of the earth to kill. I checked on Friday. You want to know what the world's population is? 8,028,504,258 people. There's just over 8 billion people in the world today. A quarter of them will die during this part of the tribulation period. Using round numbers, that's 2 billion people. 2 billion people. And we're not done yet. The fifth seal is verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, John goes, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. What the fifth one is, not necessarily a judgment, but it's a picture of heaven. And what John sees, he sees martyrs, those who have been killed for their faith in Jesus during the tribulation period in heaven. And what happens during the tribulation period is those people that come to know Jesus during those seven years and they love Jesus and their faith is in Jesus, they are going to be put to death. A lot of scholars believe there's going to be more Christians put to death during that seven-year period of time than the totality of years added up before that. Christians are going to die by the thousands during the tribulation period. That's the fifth judgment. Then the sixth one, the great earthquake. The sun turns black, moon turns red, the stars in the sky fall. All these physical disturbances. How does that happen? One thought that's out there, an earthquake causes volcanoes to erupt and the ash that comes out of the volcano changes the color of the moon and the sun. Maybe. I don't know. All I know is there's going to be a whole lot of physical disturbances that are going to happen. So we are six judgments in. Maybe a year and a half into that seven-year period of time, 25% of the world's population is dead. There's famine. There's earthquakes. The sky's different colors. People are losing their minds. And the seventh seal judgment, if you're following along, is chapter 8, verse 1. And that opens up the trumpet judgments. If you read verse 1 of chapter 8, you'll notice when this is open, there's silence in heaven for an hour. Well, half hour, excuse me. These trumpet judgments, I believe, start in the first half of the seven years, but they go through the midpoint. I could be wrong on that, but we'll see what happens. If you're following along, chapter 8, verse 7, these trumpets are blown by angels. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Something, something like hail, comes flying out of the sky. First trumpet. And what are we told? All the green grass was burned. All of it. Now, if we believe that the Bible is true in everything that it says, that every single word is the word that God wants there, it means all green grass is burned up. A third of the trees are burned up. Throughout the world. You getting that? Verse 8, the second angel sounded his trumpet and something like a huge mountain, all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood. Not necessarily blood, 
but maybe because of the asteroid, the meteoroid thereabouts that went into the ocean, maybe what came off of it turned the water a different color. And so what happens? A third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. You know how much things are living in the ocean? A lot. Imagine a third of that dies. When a lot of things die in the ocean, what happens? Where do they go? They rise up. Imagine that smell. A third of the ships were destroyed. Who's on the ships? People. People. Well, but we're not done yet. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers of the spring waters. And the name of the star is Wormwood. Wormwood means bitter. And something's going to fall from the sky, all right? And it's going to hit the fresh water. Trumpet number two is all about salt water in the ocean. Trumpet number three is all about the fresh water. And it's going to make the third of the water, the fresh water on the earth, bitter. So much so that the third of the waters turned bitter and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. Hmm. Then you have the fourth angel. Sounded his trumpet. And a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. Imagine going outside and only seeing one third of the sun because the, uh, one, one third of it was turned off. It's going to happen. Something's going to happen where God's going to turn the lights partially off. Oh, and this is only a temporary one because one of the later judgments, well, you'll have to wait till you get there. But the sun goes in the opposite direction. What I mean by that, it gets really, really hot. So what do we do with all of this? Well, we're not done yet. We, we still have to go into the this rest of this round of judgments. Just to remind you, if you're in Christ, you're not here for this. The last three come as angels flying throughout the sky, calling out, Woe! And the fifth trumpet, this is chapter 9, sounded his trumpet. And John goes, I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came down upon the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not given power to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And their agony, get this, and the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion. That during those days men will seek death but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. So what happens on this judgment? Somebody comes down and they're given a key. Most likely this is Satan. They're given a key to unlock an abyss. It's called the bottomless pit. Yes, it's real. How do we know it's real? Because God tells us about it. Satan unlocks this abyss, and out of this abyss comes all this smoke and everything that most likely people will see. And out of this will come locusts. And we're not going to get into the wide range of things. Are they real locusts? Are they? I, we probably spend three hours just on what are the locusts, right? We're not doing that. What these locusts are able to do is sting like a scorpion does. And their sting is so painful. They're going to torture people for five months. And the agony is going to be so great that they're going to want to die, these people, but they can't. It's okay, the tribulation period won't be that bad, will it? I, I don't want to get... Well, we're not done yet. Then the sixth trumpet is sounded. Verse 13 of chapter 9, when this trumpet is blasted, four angels who are bound at this point in time are released. Right now, there's four angels that are bound. God won't let them do what they need to do until He tells them to do it. Well, they're released and they go out and kill a third of mankind. You read a couple verses later, you're told that this army numbers 200 million people. Now, once again, I'm not going to get into who this army is because there are all sorts of things. It's China, it's India, it's Russia, it's, it's all these sorts of things. We're not going to get into it. But I, 
I want you to see what they do. They're released and a third of mankind is killed. Now you need to back up a little bit. Everything I just told you, and I threw, flew over all of it. All of it. Very light touching on all of it. Happens in three and a half years. But get the gravity of it. Stuff happens to the sun and the moon and the stars. There's earthquakes and all those things happening. People are getting stung by whatever they are. They're in agony and they want to die and they can't. Water is bitter. You can't drink water. There's no food because there's a famine. There's wars going on all over the place. But I want you to get this because this is always what startles me. 24% of the people die in the seal judgments. What did we just read here about the sixth seal, a sixth trumpet? A third of the people die. So you have 24% of people die. Whoever is left over from that number, a third of the people die. Okay, Joe, 24, right? Well, one-fourth plus one-third equals what? He's stuck and you all want to hear, Joe, they don't want to wait, Joe. Ready? 58%. A fourth and a third equals 58%. How do I know that? I asked my phone. She did the math for me. <laughs> But I want you to get this. 58% of the world's population dies in three and a half years. When did COVID hit? 2019. It's 2023. So we could easily, we'll, we'll just say three and a half years ago. Can you imagine? Since the midpoint of 2019, over 4 billion people died in the world. It's going to happen. It's going to happen during the tribulation period. Well, Pastor, that's kind of depressing. I know it is. Is there any good that comes out of it? Well, well yes. Yes, there is. Chapter 7. Don't worry, I'm not going to go through the whole thing. You can look at it. It's 144,000 people are sealed by God. They're sealed by God and for God, and they are all Jewish. If you're not Jewish, you will not be one of the 144,000 people. You need to be Jewish. What are they going to be doing during all of this? They're going to be out proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, the church is taken away before the tribulation period happens, but you know what? people are still going to find Jesus. You want to know why? Because the people are taken away, but God's Word is eternal, and God's Word will still be here, and people will be able to pick up a Bible and read it. They're going to have the rapture on their minds, and they're going to be going, what is going on? And they're going to find the Bible, and they're going to be like, hey, my grandmother kept telling me these stories, and now she's gone. My dad kept telling me about Jesus and the Gospel, and why I needed to put my faith and my trust in Him. But I didn't believe my dad, and I just kept going. And so they're going to have these things of people telling them about the Gospel of Jesus Christ, but yet they never put their faith and their trust in Him. Now they have the rapture. Now they have God's Word. They have all these things. And now they have 144,000 Jewish people proclaiming the Gospel throughout the world. And to get into the the rest of it, you're going to have two super witnesses that I'm not going to tell you about this morning. And you're going to have an angel proclaiming the gospel throughout the sky of the world. People are going to be hearing the gospel during these seven years. And people are going to come to know the Lord and Savior by the droves. People are going to be saved during this time and you are going to meet them in heaven. That is the good news because in light of all of this going on, God is still working and proclaiming His Word and saving people during the tribulation period because His Word is still here. He will still be working. And they're going to come and love and follow Jesus in droves, but not all of them because Revelation chapter 9, verse 20 and 21 says this, the rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. 
They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. And if you go back to chapter 6 and you read what I didn't give you there, people are hiding in the mountains because they know God is doing something. During the tribulation period, people on the earth will know that all these things are happening because of God yet they still will not repent of their sin and turn to Him. In light of everything that is going on in their lives, everything that they see, they will still ignore God and reject God and not repent. Is that you? Will you not repent of your sin? In your life right now, even in light of all the things that God is doing in your life to show you that you are sinning and walking away from God? Will you not repent of your sin that God's Word keeps telling you that you are wrong and you are committing sin when you're doing it? Where you won't stop doing it. In light of everything that God is doing in your life, in light of everything that God is telling you in His Word, are you like the rest of mankind that sins back going, my Word, a third of the sun disappeared, God's doing all of this, but yet I still reject Him. Because if you will not repent of your sin, it shows how hard your heart is towards God. If you will not repent of your sin, either one, you've never confessed and believed in Jesus. And if that is true, if the rapture happens and the tribulation period starts, you will go through it because you will not go. Or two, you're drifting away from Jesus. Your salvation is there and secure in Christ. But if you will not repent of your sin, you are drifting away from Christ and you do not have a close walk with Him at all. What sin will you not repent of in your life? For some of you, maybe you need to repent of your sin and turn to Jesus for salvation. So you don't have to worry about going through all of this. So that you can know Jesus personally, be gone with Him. Maybe the rest of you, you need to realize that there's sin in your life that you need to repent of, but you won't do it because your heart is hard. What is it for you? That's the tribulation period, but that's only the first half. What happens next? Well, you're going to see some, some people that are involved in it. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I pray that You'd work in our hearts. I pray that You'd help us to repent of sin that is in our lives so that we would not be, as You tell us in the end of chapter 9 of Revelation, the rest of mankind that will not repent. Father, You call us to a life of daily repentance so that our sin would be put to death in Christ. Help us to do that. Draw us to You, Lord God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.